Sotto la bicicletta, a Laura Pedala, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Italian for you wanted a bike, so now pedal. Roughly bicicletta. analogous to, yeah, that's right. Uh, you made your bed, now lie in it, in honor mm. of some FIA decisions surrounding safety car use that I'm afraid we have to talk about again. I'm Drew Scanlon, joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about the winners and losers from today's race. The winners, I guess we'll have to, I don't want to spoil the podcast, but the losers, Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Once again, another gray autumnal day. Uh, really enjoying the end of season, end of year vibes. Nice. They're starting to steal over the racing season. It's uh, it stopped it stopped being an absolute melty hell here, which is nice. We have we had cloud yesterday, but but the cloud Ooh. was sort of like the sun was looking a little bit of a weird color, and I was like, is that cloud or is that smoke? You can never tell mm. in California. That's true. Uh, if yeah, I like I like the way that you phrase that, Danny, in your perhaps your Irish way. <laughs> like we had cloud, <laughs> like singular, like a cloud. <laughs> It's enough to get excited about here in California. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. Uh, If you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? We're finally doing it we're finally reviewing truth in 24 um a documentary which we've been talking about for years and people have been asking us to do for years it is about the 24 hour of le mans and it is about is it audi it's audi which is timely actually given that 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 uh organization is now entering f1 with intent to form a a pretty credible works challenger yeah good shout and there is also a truth in 24 too which they, I guess they couldn't have called in 48. Oh, maybe the first which, one's just a pack of lies. And they're just like doing clean up. Oh, we should really release a second one. Like, do over, this is, do over. This is just a, a glorified ad. <laughs> exactly, it is. But uh, if, if we've learned anything from that Fastbender series, sometimes glorified ads are okay. <laughs> so it's oh, kind of hard to tell. I'm dying um, from this next season of Fastbender. <laughs> um so yeah we're gonna do that of course if you become a patron you can listen to dozens of our film reviews and documentary reviews uh just like these fantastic uh title sponsor patrons kikaha of the art team blackjack michael maves gordy's army at talking autos olivia evans pirates card castle erica siegel iron station studios alan mccrary telemetrydeck.com david mule drew stewart Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jack, I've really backed myself into a corner with this Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, <laughs> Bunny Crimes and the Return to Work Blues, <laughs> Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Valtar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rompf, Irvine Clinical Research, and Jason Kelly. I tried to put different intonation this week. Mm. I'm trying to get out of my flow state, um, especially as people like Jack and Bunny Crimes are, are both keeping me on my toes. But if you're a title sponsor, you can always change your name or modify it, and I will be forced to read out what it is. <laughs> because much like F1, you're our sponsor, so we have to live with you. 
And we love you, by the way. FYI, it's not just that. It's just like, it's like us and it's like Haas and Rich Energy, man. We just, we got, mm. you, got, you got to love them. You got to love them because we're in, the, we're on the ride together. Uh, well, let's get on this ride uh, of Monza this weekend. Qualifying, weird yet again yeah, because of so one. many penalties. So uh, strange. I'll just run through them real quick here. Hamilton, Sunoda and Signs back of the grid for additional use of power unit and or gearbox elements. Uh, although if there's a tie like this, if it's, you know, back of the grid, you can't all start tied at 20th. Alphabetical. The, the, the order of the cars <laughs> qualify breaks the tie. Okay. Uh, so it still does make sense for the drivers to to tr- try a little bit. Who um, was it? Sonoda, Hamilton, and Sainz. Yeah. So Sonoda also had a 10-place penalty for accumulating five rec- reprimands and oh, yeah. for apparently ignoring yellow flags in practice. So he's the very backest. That's amazing. That was like a sort of a double jeopardy situation where he was like, hey, I'm going to get a 10-place penalty anyway. I'm just going to change a bunch of stuff on my car. And also yeah. yellow flags. Woo! Who diplomatic community. <laughs> uh, Perez, Verstappen, Ocon, Magnussen, and Botas were penalized 10, 5, 5, 15, and 15 grid places, <laughs> respectively, Jesus. for use of additional power unit elements. And they then Schumacher... They should have to race in F3 if that happens. They should be, like, demoted. <laughs> uh, Schumacher was penalized 15 uh, for additional power unit and gearbox elements. So, here's mm. the grid such as it is. Uh, Charles Leclerc, qualified on pole, will start on pole. George Russell starts, seconds, s- starts second, having qualified in sixth. Mm. And then we've got Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, who qualified seventh and eighth. They will start third and fourth. Then we've got Pierre Gasly in fifth, Fernando Alonso in sixth, Max Verstappen qualified second, but he will start seventh. And then Nick DeVries. Yeah. Uh, he qualified 13th, three places ahead of his teammate Latifi. He is in for Albon, who had appendicitis, uh, which I'll touch on in a second. But DeVries is a former Formula Two champion who went to Formula E when there were no spots open in F1, then won the championship there too. Uh, This year, he's a reserve driver for Mercedes Mercedes and by extension, their customer teams. So at the Spanish Grand Prix and here at Monza, he was driving uh, a Williams and an Aston Martin, respectively, in practice sessions. Uh, And then was told the morning of qualifying that he would be taking Albon's place for the rest of the weekend, taking part in his first F1 qualifying session and race. Uh, Alex Albon tweeted ahead of his uh, appendectomy, uh, quote, appendicitis, surgery, and no racing isn't what I was expecting this weekend. Negatives, missing out on what looks like a strong weekend for us, uh, and pain. And then positives, weight reduction for Singapore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and cool scars well assuming did you see he ended up in the icu yes uh, so oh, aesthetic, uh complications yeah oh no so they got a little scary things got a little scary uh as relayed by this statement from williams following surgery alex suffered unexpected post-operative anesthetic complications which led to respiratory failure a known but uncommon complication he was wow. re-intubated and transferred to intensive care for support he made excellent progress overnight and was able to be removed from me- uh, mechanical ventilation yesterday morning. He's now been transferred to a general ward and is expected to return home tomorrow. There that were sucks. no other complications. Yeah, put his lungs to scary. sleep. That's not good. I guess, but like you said, like, yeah, the body. 
It's a mystical place. Well, and sometimes anesthesia. those things happen. Like the, yeah. the difference between a complication and like a, a full, like easy transition out is uh, is is really like a matter of millimeters or, or hey, I guess micro milliliters micro would be the, yeah. <laughs> uh, appropriate way to put it. I prefer that than waking up mid surgery. If I, you, if I had you know, to choose, hey, that's that's a good one. That's a good point too, because that's. Uh, you know, you, you, a brief a brief trip to the ICU or years of therapy, uh, <laughs> especially attending any other procedure. I, I want to ask you all a quick question, though. Yeah, it feels like every time we have a lot of engine penalties, uh, we hear a lot about the just the fact that these penalties are being uh, you know put like put in place. Uh, the, the 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 TV commentary always sort of at, at in search of things to talk about. Maybe during the slower parts of quality tends to focus on. And I'm, I'm curious, like. Do y'all feel like when you have these like mid-season races where you have waves of teams eating engine penalties just because of the wear and tear on parts and where they're sort of strategizing for uh, power units later in the season, does it bother you? Do you find it like the, do you find it diminishes it? Do you find it confusing? I'm, I'm I'm curious. Like, do we actually dislike this, or we, do we just feel like we, we're supposed to dislike this? I don't actually dislike this. I, I think. I think uh, one of the commentators, maybe it was Brundle, it was like, we got to find a better way to do this. And I, I don't agree. I think this is, this is the way, this is the, them's the brakes. You know, you, if you can make a, an engine that lasts, um, you know, a long time, you are rewarded by not having to take grid penalties. I think what maybe is coming to the surface in, in statements like that is that, it's not it's not a level playing field you know as we'll see in this race it kind of doesn't matter for some cars to take these penalties and i think that's uh frustrating yeah i feel like it's kind of like a wrinkle in the bed sheets with some of these sports where you see something that just doesn't feel right or looks wrong and you want to stamp it out i don't actually think that there's anything like I don't if if I could imagine an alternative that would be elegant, then maybe. But I, this seems like the sort of the best solution for for a kind of a messy element of the sport. You know, people should know that like in years past, you know, donkeys years past, you could run more engines if you had more money. Like the, yeah. this is a byproduct of a of a number of other different sort of laws that are sort of Jenga piled on top of each other. Um, and and the reason they do these in these races oftentimes is Monza, for instance, is a track where you can gain a lot of places. It's also a track where there tends to be safety cars. So there's there's opportunities for for overtaking here that there might not be perhaps at another uh, race. So, yeah, I don't know. I think my only disappointment, honestly, is that when they do that, we tend to get really mixed up crazy races or the sort of like fighting through the pack style thing. Um, as this, Which is fun to watch. It's, it is. Yeah, to, to mix it up that way. I mean, it's, it's where, well, why the sprint race exists. You know what I mean? Like there's, 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 there's <laughs> I they completely tried, forgot about the sprint race. Yeah, it's, it's why they like, you know, which they've done at Monza in years past, right? So I think... My only sort of issue with it is, and as we've sort of learned, I think, from these past three races, is that it's just not that competitive a season this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just it didn't add anything really to this race either because the the front of the pack, there's no competition. We were so spoiled last year with a, a mono-a-mono race uh, season, rather. Um, 
Well, but then, then penalties mattered, right? Then they right. were much bigger stories. Like, oh man, they got it. They got to take one here. Uh, or like if, and maybe I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I wonder if there were fewer parts added to those cars, you know, we'll just race with an old engine. It'll be slower, but we'll still be, you know, we won't have to take a penalty. I don't know. Then it becomes right. a strategy implication. Now it's like, whatever, we'll yeah. just, we're going to be fast no matter what. And so we'll make it up. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah. And I, and I do kind of wonder, I think, I think something else that is, is maybe just uh, disappointing about how the penalty system is working overall is if the goal was to really incentivize teams, uh, like, both building durable parts uh and and truly trying to get through the season on uh you know three three full like power unit assemblies uh that's failed uh that that hasn't worked like basically the the teams it seems like like they're happy sitting at like five or so uh and just like treating this as cost of doing business and and that might just be the hard limits of the engineering problem uh you know between performance and reliability that like there, there's really not much juice left to squeeze out of mm. this this format, uh, but I, I do think the 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 penalties clearly are not leading to the teams producing better or more durable engines or doing fewer swaps during the season, and so it, it does seem like it's fallen into a pretty predictable rut uh, over the past few years of this is how they sort of game the penalty system. But that said, I'm I'm kind of with you. If you don't have the penalty system at all, I do, I do think you will see teams, you know, basically wink and nod at the power unit requirement and then build, you know, maybe even more powerful, less, less durable engines. So I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think the penalty system uh, necessarily is bad. I mean, it might, might help them keep, might keep things a bit more honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't find it that confusing. Drew, sorry. You had something. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just wondering now, I wonder if, if the cost cap turns out to be, a real check on spending and they are adding more teeth in the new agreement that is that is confirmed yeah uh maybe we don't need engine penalties do you know what i mean that i mean that's certainly an argument uh you know one thing that sort of jumped out at me i think last week was um apparently like uh sergio perez is on a different chassis than Max, uh, the later spec chassis, it just didn't pan out development wise for them. Ah. But apparently, like Red Bull felt they could not afford to just burn the chassis and put him back on their original spec uh, because they did not have the cost cap room to make decisions like that. Interesting. So, uh, so I do think, to, you know, to your point, Drew, th- you know, this is even in place with what sounds like pretty thin, sketchy, like how are we going to enforce cost cap stuff? Uh, once the new agreements kick in, uh, certainly from like 2026 forward, there's going to be like real t- like penalties associated with uh, blowing through cost cap stuff, particularly around powertrains. So I, I do think that might that's probably going to be the, you know, the teams are happy making these uh, just eating these grid penalties because those are cheap, right? Yeah. Once uh, there's no longer like just sort of a shrug at cost overruns or more particularly if like repeatedly doing this stuff could result in uh, like points losses, then, you know, the, the game does change. Yeah. 
yeah, much much to consider and look out for in uh, in years ahead. But let's get down to the bottom of this uh, grid here. In ninth, Zhou Guanyu, Nicholas Latifi in tenth. Sorry, Zhou Guanyu in ninth, Nicholas Latifi tenth, Sebastian Vettel eleventh, Lance Stroll twelfth, Sergio Perez starts thirteenth, then Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas. Uh, Kevin Magnuson, Mick Schumacher, Carlos Sainz in 18th. He qualified third. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, 19th. And Yuki Tsunoda bringing up the rear. Danny, do you want to take us through the start? Sure. Uh, lights out. Away they went. Um, and the first immediate uh, worry was uh, Lando Norris, who'd crawled off the line and looked like... I'd been watching a montage of uh, of F1 cars that had stalled on the grid or just open wheel cars that stalled on the grid recently and i went oh no um he just had a really bad setting that he couldn't do anything about he said um he kind of knew it was going to happen and the car anti-stalled like several times and um, when he tried to the whatever launch settings he had um uh, for the car I, I didn't get more details on that post-race it was a very quick interview um but he kind of knew it was going to happen apparently which kind of i wonder if at that point you you ever watch like old races and a car has a problem and the driver literally like waves their (laughs) hand above their head well if you look at nick devries on board his brakes are on fire for a long time as he's like coming up to the the grid as well so who's i totally miss i miss there are two brake fire incidents uh in in this race so devries had a burning a burning yeah. wheel as he put formed up yeah well they were smoking really bad i couldn't see flames yet but they were like there was a lot of smoke like more than what checo had during the race probably because it was he was stopped um but it was like yeah it was a pretty uh they it was a pretty i only saw it because they have a how his race went sort of montage up on the f1 youtube channel um, oh cool but yeah it must have been quite scary for him <laughs> the start of his first f1 race um but thankfully, they all get away. Lando does too. Uh, Russell and Leclerc have decent starts themselves. Um, Leclerc ends up getting in front, and then Russell sort of goes up the inside on turn two and has to escape down that little sort of um, chicane uh, secret road. <laughs> um, as do a couple of other people. I think it was Magnussen and I want to say Zhou Guan Yu as well had, had to dive down there. Um, but apart from that, that was the order of things. It was Leclerc and Russell with Ricardo uh, holding third. Um, and then who else was the, who was in the Alpha? Who was after that? Oh, was it uh, not Alonso? Alpha, sorry, no, in the... Um, was it Gasly? Where did he qualify? Or Sonoda? Yeah, it was Gasly. Yeah, he, Gasly. He started fifth. Um, so he was in fourth by that stage um, with, uh, with uh, Checo behind him. Yeah, and by this stage, not even at the end of the lap, Verstappen has made up two places, and he'll get Gasly in the next couple of corners on that first lap for fourth, and a lap later will pass Ricardo on the main straight for third. So you can you can kind of see where this is going. Uh, Verstappen then in lap five passes Russell at turn one with the help of DRS for second place. Uh, but the other big wow. mover here is Sainz, who started 18th, and by lap six, he had made up six places and then passes Vettel into Curva Grande. Then Lance Stroll <laughs> yeah. into Parabolica on the same lap same to lap. get himself into 10th. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, this was really fun to watch. Yeah, great for, you know, for the um, the Tifosi there as well. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of if there was ever a race, you wouldn't have minded. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of anti-Ferrari people who are kind of like, that and don't really care, I suppose, if they get stuck... T- you know they they don't have a good season or don't have a good race at home but i i always think it's nice um 
for them to do it. And they had an interesting sort of color scheme going on to this race, which worried me a little bit. Kind of like, remember that German Grand Prix with uh, Mercedes when they were all dressed up in later hoses? Yo, and- I don't think anyone who watched <laughs> Driver's Drive is ever going to forget that. They, they did everything but blame like everything that had happened on that goddamn later hosen. I know, right? They'll never wear later hosen again. Um, it's buried in the bowels of uh, <laughs> Mercedes headquarters. But yeah, they had all the yellow sort of stuff all over the... Um, over the car. So yellow race suits looked good. The yellow race suits looked fantastic. Yes, did. I fully yes. agree. And I'm like, you should just change that. Like they were striking, yeah. they contrast well against the car. Uh, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't get like that. That Ferrari yellow is an iconic look for their sports cars, and I think it would be kind of amazing to see like that as an F1 livery just once. I'm just so curious yeah, what yeah. it would look like. It's the high vis jacket of. Uh, a Formula One, yeah, you, you kind of can't miss it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice, if nothing else, to see. I mean, Leclerc was obviously winning, but I think a lot of Ferrari fans there probably weren't necessarily assuming that he'd win the race unless the right circumstances of safety cars and whatnot occurred. But it was at least nice to see uh, signs ripping it up in those early laps for for the Tifosi. We shall see safety cars, virtual safety cars coming. Uh, lap 10, Sainz gets Alonso on the main straight with DRS for 7th place, so he just continues to climb up the field. Uh, before that, though, on lap 12, um, or sorry, right after that, before lap, or on lap 12, Vettel pulls over and stops with a mechanical problem, uh, bringing out a virtual safety car, although not before Sainz got a last-minute pass on Pierre Gasly for 5th place. Uh... And the, the VSC adds a, an interesting wrinkle to this race, strategy-wise, because Leclerc is still out in front with Verstappen right behind him. And Ferrari knows Verstappen is fast and will probably pass Leclerc soon. Uh, and doing the same tire strategy as Verstappen will change nothing. Mm. But this virtual safety car gives them an opportunity to do something different and get a cheap pit stop. Uh, so Ferrari pits Leclerc, and he goes from the soft to the medium tire. Uh, we think plan A here is to start on the soft and do a one-stop on the mediums, but we're at lap 13, and 40 laps to go yeah. is a long way for the mediums. Uh, in any case, they're doing something different for Verstappen. So I think this this race, uh, this I, I categorize in my own personal ranking system of uh, the, the four, four stars. This got three stars because uh, okay. it was not only was it a strategy race which is two stars but it has some other interesting stuff going on so uh, <laughs> i enjoyed stars. the strategy as- aspect of this is that the ceiling for strategy races too yep i like that's, I well, like that's, what, time... I, that's what i call a two-star race is a strategy race because okay. you really have to you really got to be looking closely trying to, to trying find to anything it. fun yeah <laughs> every time like drew like talks about his personal ranking system for races like we come so close to and like and i would not be surprised if this existed the drew secretly got like an f1 youtube channel like where he's just like (laughs) and now to give it a drew score or something like that like it's the (laughs) f1 equivalent of like guy who's like reviewing regional restaurants uh in in, in, like northwestern minnesota or something i love it but no i'm kind of with you like i think i like it's it is between a two and a three for me uh and i think maybe a bit of the fizzle at the end does like push it down a bit but the strategy stuff was interesting uh there there was some some interesting like the fact that um you know that that ferrari kind of puts 
puts Leclerc on that hero strategy uh, is 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 certainly striking. And I think the fact that it, it seems like yet another one of those races where you do not have a smooth, just a smooth progression of performance and durability as you move through the compounds. Like the hard just didn't seem to be it. You know, it had the durability, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the performance, and not enough co- like performance commensurate with the. Uh, with, with, with that uh, small amount of durability they gained, so I, I thought that was another that was another part that was interesting to me was that like you had you know later in the race you had signs sort of commenting I want those softs softs look great like keep me on those uh, you know they, they are not they are not wearing out as fast as we feared and that's always interesting too when you have these strategy races where what people are anticipating from just pace at the start turns out to not play out once the first cycle of pit stops happens and you start seeing like what's happening is literally the the rubber meets the road. Mm. So soon after uh the Clarex at the pits here on lap 13 um in third behind Russell uh and Verstappen in the background Signs gets through on Ricardo for fourth place. Uh Signs basically has made up a place per lap since the start. Right. Uh yeah. he's doing a great job. Uh lap 26 though is finally when Verstappen pits. Uh, from first place, he goes from soft to medium, his only planned stop. Um, and he will drop down to second place there. Uh, another big mover in this race is none other than Lewis Hamilton. This is kind of his jam throughout the years. We've seen this a number of times. Uh, on lap 27, he gets by Alonso into turn one for sixth place. Yeah, relatively Hamilton easily. Relatively easily, yeah. And as you may recall, he started behind signs in 19th place. And even with that subpar Mercedes, he is still up to his old tricks. Uh, And then after consulting with her driver for a few times, um, Ferrari decides lap 34 (laughs) is the right time to pit Leclerc. I thought it was interesting, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think Brundle pointed this out, it's unusual to hear Ferrari ask their driver's opinion. Um, and apparently they, uh, some press asked Bonato about this and he said, yeah. you know, it's just, it's more data. So yeah. The, what he what said, do you make of that? Yeah. He said Andy. that I think they were trying to, cause the assumption is that they don't have very strong st- strategies and are basically asking the driver to, to do it. And maybe there's an element of lost in translation here where everyone's communicating in English and, you know, not English speaking, you know. Uh, not folks who English is their first language and maybe we're reading into the subtleties a little bit too much but Bernardo is basically just saying like yeah we asked them and but we have our strategies as well but we're just asking them and also we don't hear all the team radio so maybe whenever Ferrari ask a driver about tires we always hear it so there's a couple of different you know layers to that I guess but it was interesting to hear that they are at least like sort of somewhat defensive about this assumption that they don't have strategies maybe they do have strategies and they're just bad <laughs> I don't well, know I, I think this is just going to happen when you've when you've got you know it's not just this year it's a couple of years of people uh having questions about how Ferrari is calling races and I do think yeah. you know the, the the box they got put in earlier this year was you had drivers particularly uh you know Carlos questioning and correcting their 
you know, strategies over the yeah. radio and discussing this. And so, like, I think I mentioned this before, but I, I feel like right now their process is a fundamentally defensive one that is trying to, like, you almost you almost hear the meeting, right, where the, the drivers are saying we want more input on the strategy and more transparency <laughs> and what the strategy call is. And so in order for everyone to walk away from this meeting feeling good and, like, they're at a compromise to settle, that they can all live with, you end up with kind of a weird thing where, like, strategy is going to generate scenarios and the drivers are going to get a chance to, like, weigh in on those and they're comfort level and wish to execute those strategies will be considered but it does lead to weird things like so plan c does that does that sound good it's, it's like it, it's like <laughs> like guy trying to like like or a couple who know their relationships on his last legs you know what i mean like so um plan c you'd be you'd be good plan c you're not just saying that like plan c you want you want to do plan c okay Great. No, no, I'm, I love Plan C. That that's the vibe I get. Uh, I I don't think this is long term attainable like situation. I just think they're getting through the year. <laughs> well, uh, so he yeah he he does pit on lap thirty four and uh, goes on to soft tires, coming out behind Verstappen but ahead of George Russell. So now we see that what Ferrari thought their best option to combat Verstappen, uh, and his one stop was is a two stop. Uh, to put Leclerc out 18 seconds behind Verstappen on soft tires with 19 laps to go. And as Martin Brundle says, Leclerc will have to do 19 qualifying laps to pass him by the end. Uh, but, you know, anything can happen in Formula One, and it usually does. So who knows if there's a safety car out there for us? Question mark. Uh, it's also around this time that Norris makes another stop, intending to get back out on the track ahead of his teammate, but it's a slow stop, and instead he comes out behind Ricardo. This slows Gasly, who is behind uh, a little bit, but Gasly gets around him into turn one. But coming out of turn one, Hamilton, who was behind Gasly, slingshots around both Norris and Gasly through Curva Grande and awesome. into seventh. Yeah, yeah. overtake of the Great of move. the day it was a beautiful, beautiful uh, camera as well on on the broadcast. They went straight to first person for that one, and it was pretty yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, not even a lap later, he gets Ricardo down the main straight with DRS into sixth place. Uh, lap 42 is uh, kind of a fun back and forth between Mick Schumacher and Nicholas Latifi for 14th place. The two of them fighting to keep their seats. Yeah. Uh, Mick Schumacher coming out on top there. And it's probably a good place to point out that Nick DeVries, Latifi's teammate this weekend, is currently running in the points in 10th in a car that he has spent a fraction of the time in compared to Nicholas Latifi. Mm. And uh, I, uh, you know, this race... Keeping Latifi, even with all the money he brings, I know would be embarrassing for Williams. It's it's getting point. to that stage, yeah, where because Albon signed on, right? Albon has a contract for next year. Yeah. Latifi doesn't yet. So, well, I, well as a reserve driver, you mean? Uh, oh, no, Albon, oh, you said Albon. Sorry, sorry, so no, yeah. Albon. Yeah, yeah, yeah Albon yeah. has. Yeah, he has his race seat locked up. So it's yeah. I I think I think this weekend De Vries made it very easy for Williams to make that call i think it's yeah. now now it's there's no it's not a nobody who's doubting this on wherever the doubt comes from outside of the money that latifi brings because like you know i like the guy i, I there's no arguing that he is one of the best drivers in the world he is just in the unenviable position of being the worst best driver in the world um 
and that sucks. It's like it's like yeah. you know baseball players who have bad stats. It's like they got to the big leagues. They're Hold better on. than absolutely. I follow, I follow the lower levels less clearly than you do. <laughs> so like, is Latifi like is Latifi a guy who like is in that upper rank of lower formula drivers who? Like, I'm just saying, just, like, yeah, in terms of the fact that he has an F1 seat, but he's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it like I, I, I like I understand. Like we like what, we like we like Nicky. He's a hard no, guy. What to I'm dislike. saying, what yeah. I'm saying in the world, I'm I'm including people who don't drive an F1. What I'm yeah. saying is that he is one of the in, in all of humanity. He is in the unenviable position of being one of the like one of the worst drivers of the creme de la creme. But I'm not saying he's better than F1 I'm, I'm or F2 or F3 two seconds, Two, three seconds off the pace or off the pace of your teammate. Uh, I think creme, uh, creme de la creme is... No, but you is, know what I mean. I'm yeah, saying I, relatively. I, I do, I do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, like, it is... Uh, like, I, like Latifi, I, I think... It's, it's, it's different than Stroll, right? Stroll, I think, is a little bit more... He's a good driver with a lot yes. of money, and it's very yes. clear why he's there. Or, like... As much as we bagged on Pastor, right, on his day, you saw flashes where it's like, yep, this is why, again, with some, you know, bankrolling behind him, this is why he keeps getting these chances. Because, like, yeah. there's days where it's like, it's there, it's undeniable. Latifi hasn't had that drive. He hasn't had that that performance. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, the other thing is, I am sure that uh, Doralton Capital or whatever are happy to have, like, the cost of running this team defrayed. By yeah. a pay driver, but crucially, unlike the Williams family, they don't need this money. Uh, you know, it's right. nice to have, but after a certain point, you need the data points of two competitive drivers. If I, if honestly, if there's one person we're concerned for in this, like Albin's got his contract, great. Uh, boy, is that going to be some real competition coming yeah, in? Because sure. Degrees turned into performance like that was so good that I was like, I don't know if Albin, if he stays healthy, drives that car uh you know to to the same position i don't um so that's gonna be i'd also say obviously there's that money that um the tv's bringing in devries has he's not max verstappen but he is dutch and there are a lot of dutch fans in f1 and he could very easily become like a very popular driver on the circuit um with the fans and that also might be it's hard. It's one of those things that's harder for the lower teams to do is to get like a cult of personality or a big name on their on their sort of docket. And I yeah. think he actually might be a quite a clever fix there for them. Uh, yeah, I think Williams Especially, is kind of that fix of like they speak to people who are old heads in the sport, to- like yeah, sentimental totally. about the fact that it is Williams. But like, yes, if you've if you've come to F one last like fifteen years, what do you really care about the ancient yeah. history of Williams? Mm. Yeah, and I think Doralton, <clears throat> having bought a team and kept the name, they care about perception. Yeah. And uh, this did not look good this weekend Yeah, uh, for Latifi. Uh, speaking of poor wretches, lap 47, <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo running an eighth uh. in the points, pulls over with a loss of power, uh, bringing out the safety car and ending this race. So yeah. before we discuss the ending, I'll just run down the finishers here. <laughs> Nicholas Latifi didn't have an opportunity to crash and let Max win. <laughs> uh, Max oh, did no, win. Oh no, my death threats. <laughs> oh. Uh, Charles Leclerc in second. George Russell in third on the podium once again. 
Georgie boy. Way to go. Yeah, he did it. Uh, Carlos Sainz got up to fourth. Lewis Hamilton got up to fifth. Sergio Perez finished in sixth. Lando Norris in seventh. Pierre Gasly in eighth. Nick DeVries points on his debut. Multiple points. Count him two. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine a better outcome with this. He's got to be thinking, yeah. I've done literally everything I possibly could to be a candidate for an F1 drive. He got it at Q1, and he scored points. Like, Latifi has not scored points this year, in case anyone needs a reminder. Himself and Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of other drivers in this field with fewer bona fides than him. Yeah. 10th uh, place, Joe Guan Yu. Uh, behind them... Esteban Ocon, Mick Schumacher, Valtteri Bottas, Yuki Tsunoda, Nicholas Latifi in 15th. Then we've got Kevin Magnussen and then the DNFs of Daniel Ricciardo, Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, and Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Perez also scored an additional point for fastest. What's, ha- what's happening to Haas? Just not in it. Well, no, I think they've fully switched over to the next year. Well, and also they set expectations heading into this race that they were going to like be terrible at Monza. Like they were very clear that uh, they feel their strength is chassis uh, this year if they have a competitive edge, Uh, Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't matter on a course like this that's that's so flat out. Uh, So uh, I I give them a pass on this because they they were downplaying expectations throughout, where it was just like that's not the car they built. All right, so let's get to the ending here. Finishing under safety car. I, I feel like, much like um, some other things we've talked about in this race, I feel like the tenor of the conversation about the ending to this race, from the commentators to the articles written after the fact, is trying to make a, con- a controversy out of kind of nothing. It it makes, I guess it makes sense given the farce that was Abu Dhabi, but mm. it seems kind of cut and dry to me. So, um and after all, isn't that why we changed race directors to follow the rules? So uh, I'm going to run down what happened here, and then we can talk about uh, maybe maybe things to consider afterwards. Um, so Ricardo stops on track with six laps to go. Safety car is deployed. It comes out of the pits and joins the track ahead of Russell, uh, who's in third, meaning that Verstappen and Leclerc are ahead of the safety car on track and now have to finish the lap and line up at the back of the queue. So Autosport had a pretty good article on this by Jonathan Noble, which quotes Article 55.6 of the F1 Sporting Regulations, quote, The safety car will join the track with its orange lights illuminated and will do so regardless of where the leader is. Apparently a lot of people were complaining that, like, why didn't you come out ahead of uh, Verstappen? Mm. Uh, So now, in order to restart the race in the proper order, any car in front of the leader has to overtake the safety car. But it can only do that once the safety car displays a green light, and the green light's only displayed when the track is clear, which took longer than usual because Ricardo's car was stuck in gear, and they had to yeah. bring out a crane. So, you know, we had six laps to do this in, and that took a while. Uh, it wasn't until lap 51 of 53 that the green light went on. Uh, Russell uh, and everybody else except for Verstappen and Leclerc now have to pass the safety car. Um, so eventually... Uh, Verstappen comes up behind the safety car, uh, but we've still got lapped traffic mixed in there. And here I'll quote the Autosport article again. Um, The next stage is that the clerk of the course has the option to let lapped cars overtake. In Abu Dhabi, it was the selective choice of picking out a few lapped cars that caused controversy. Yeah. 
Now the regulations have been rewritten to demand that all lapped cars have to pass. Once the message that lapped cars can overtake is displayed, which I think coincides with the green light, the rules are explicit that there needs to be at least one more lap before the restart. So the release could not be given on lap 52, as there could be no restart before the end of lap 53, because that's the checker flag. In Abu Dhabi, the FIA ignored the following lap requirement and restarted at the end of the same lap that the lapped cars were released. It justified that by saying the regulations gave the F1 race director complete freedom to choose what rules he followed. So, given all of that, I, I, I don't see a lot of options here. Should we mandate that the safety car picks up the leader? I think that could have safety implications, right? Like that means that we're either waiting for cars to go by. Uh, well, yeah, that's it. You can't you you, you you scramble as fast as you can. You can't wait for the leader come, come back around. Yeah, they you could, could red, you flag could red flag it. But there are certain circumstances that bring out a red flag. True. And red flags have their own strategy implications. Yeah. You know, if uh, if we had a rule where if an incident that would have brought out a safety car occurred in the last four laps or something and that it's an instant red flag, that might work. But you could game it. Right. Red flags can be an advantage because you get to change tires and stuff. Um, should we mandate the races finish under green? You can't do that because the cars are only fueled for the race distance. Uh, the one thing, Danny, I think that um, maybe we could do is that if we red flagged it in, like, if if something happens in the last, say, four laps, we can red flag it and do, like, a special red flag where you can't change stuff. Tires. So you can't game it for strategy reasons, but then you're still, you're still bunching up the pack. So you could, you know, that doesn't alleviate crash gate. And there is a, there is a safety issue with the red flag changing tire thing. I forget what it is, but there's a safety reason why they let them do it. It's not right because it's, you're, you're on old tires and you're starting a race on old cold tires. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and I don't think there's anything to be solved with this. I do think it, it serves as a, as a nice mirror to look back on Abu Dhabi and obviously what went wrong there. It also like, you know, this is a scenario in which the race ended this way and it was a bummer. And it also highlights the fact that F1, the sport does a lot to generate competition in this, in this sport. It is not a, it is not a sport that is like pure in any way. The competition comes from creating restrictions within it and creating, uh, you know, a, a framework that sort of pushes the cars together. And when these moments happen, we get like we get we get sort of giddy and we want to mess with the we want to tweak something somewhere to make yeah. more fun happen. And that's and that's what happened at Abu Dhabi too. So I think it shows both sides of this that like you know there are rules in place and that sometimes the boring thing happens but that there is these the human element of f1 is always to sort of you know we're like loki where we want to like sort of t- tweak and pull things so that the fun thing happens and we didn't get to in monza and we did in abu dhabi and abu dhabi obviously pissed off a lot of people i mean a lot of people you know was great for the show in many ways and this was the opposite where this was a much fairer ending to the race and it also sucked yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's and that and that's the choice you have in f in in f1 yeah, I, I think it's like a frustration. Maybe this ties back to uh, some of the discussion around the engine penalties in some ways is I feel it, there's there's in a lot of discourse around F1. 
it's never an unpopular position to be like, I think they should have put on a better show for the fans. I just think <laughs> they should do more to promote good racing. Uh, it's the it's the F1 commentary equivalent of cheap heat in in wrestling, right? Where like, of course, people love to hear that. Uh, but yeah, I think you done a great job laying this out, Drew. Like, there weren't a ton. Like, sometimes things happen at unfortunate junctures in the race that are just going to cause things to fizzle. That is the nature of motorsport. Um, you know, think about how many iconic endurance races have ended basically in a rainout. Uh, you know, you 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 have teams set this up for an entire year. Uh, you know, battle eighteen hours, and then things end with people sitting under tents for six hours. Uh, that's just that's just the nature of a sport where there's so little you you relatively control, and there's such severe safety concerns uh, in play. I, yeah, I think it it does and, and i think the the comparisons between this and abu dhabi um they're not misguided but it was pretty clearly judged and it was evident to see that michael massey cut a lot of corners and like kind of in the like for a variety of reasons uh invented out of whole cloth a restart procedure that had like uh decisive champion championship implications mm. uh and he wasn't supposed to do that this is what he was trying to avoid to some extent which was when you observe all these procedures correctly and there's just not much time between an incident forming and the end of a race odds are it's going to end under a caution uh bummer but you know that's that's the way it, it crumbles and I, and I do think uh you know in terms of uh you know the, the arguments were there should have been a better show. Well, now we are basically saying we should have contrived something that would have changed the results of the race because this thing was in the bag. Like you can say that like Ferrari yeah. was eating into that lead, but you know I think Krunchandak had pointed out that it was like to the tune of a tenth of a second a lap. Like this thing was yeah. done. Yeah, so he was not close. you know, any, the any, managing at that stage anyway. You know? Yeah. So any any sort of notion that like uh, wow this this robbed us of a great finish. No, this 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 robbed us of under under normal racing conditions, uh, a Red Bull winning by a mile. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's before we get to news, run down the driver and team championship standings here. Max Verstappen extends his lead three hundred and thirty-five points to Charles Leclerc's two hundred and nineteen. Sergio Perez is in third with two hundred and ten. George Russell in fourth with two hundred and three. Uh, Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 187. Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 168. Then a big gap down to Lando Norris in seventh with 88 points. Esteban Ocon has 66. Fernando Alonso has 59. Valtteri Bottas in tenth with 46. Pierre Gasly and Kevin Magnussen are tied at 22 points. Sebastian Vettel has 20. Daniel Ricciardo has 19. Mick Schumacher is in 15th place with 12 points. Yuki Tsunoda is in 16th with 11. Then we've got Zhou Guan Yu with 6. Lance Stroll with 5. Alex Albon with 4. Nick DeVries with 2. And Nicholas Latifi and Nico Hulkenberg with 0. <laughs> a lot of people pointing out that Nicholas Latifi now stands in 21st place in a 20-driver championship. He is uh, He's above Hulkenberg, though, because he had a higher... higher it's it's higher highest raced finish if you're joint on points yeah so uh yeah. in the constructor standings 
Red Bull Racing is on top with 545 points to Ferrari's 406. Mercedes is in third with 371. Alpine's in fourth with 125. McLaren in fifth with 107. Alfa Romeo's got 52. Gene Haas and team have 34. Alfa Tauri has 33. That's close. Uh, Aston mm. Martin's got 25, and Williams now has six. Well, speaking of teams and the drivers that race for them, uh, the Colton Herta story continues to not die. Uh, just to reset here uh, with all the cycling based on um, Sebastian Vettel leaving the sport, Fernando Alonso taking his seat at Aston Martin. Uh, there's now a free seat open at Alpine. Mm. Uh Pierre Gasly seems like the most likely candidate currently to hop in there, uh, leaving a an empty seat at AlphaTauri. And it seems that, based on what uh, Dr. Helmut Marco uh, has said for Red Bull, is that Colton Herta is their number one choice. It might not happen, though, because mm. Colton Herta does not have the super license points to uh to join f1 currently he has 32 of the 40 points required and super license points are given out based on your um uh, performance in other racing series and it they the most points are given to formula two because they're most like formula one cars in the fia's uh, opinion and they kind of taper down based on you know then it's indycar and then way down the list is nascar because those aren't very you know very similar <laughs> and then you get some for carding Bi- or whatever bicycles and yeah yeah uh, so he doesn't have enough, and they are seeking special dispensation uh, for him to race. But as this article from Autosport uh, by, once again, Jonathan Noble points out, um, it's probably not going to... The, it's unlikely that the FIA will issue that because it kind of undercuts the whole ladder system, right? Mm. Formula 2 and Formula 3 drivers are trying to get in there. And if you just say, like, well this guy can come over even though he doesn't have the super license points, then what do they even mean? Um, but Colton Herta is still uh, rolling forward with his uh, attempt. And in fact, he is scheduled to do a private test with an older Alpine car, which seems a little weird. But when you ask or when you think that you know, Alpine would love to try to fill that seat with somebody good because Oscar Piastri said no thanks. Mm. Uh, well, then it makes sense that they would want to get Pierre Gasly in that seat. And by doing a favor for Alpha Tauri, uh, maybe they can do that. So that's where that is. Still up in the air. Still weird. Um, Alpine has said we do not comment on private tests. So no official word on that. By the way, I just wanted to uh, mention Alpine's Laurent Rossi uh, finally broke his silence and gave a mm. gave a long interview about how all this played out from his perspective. Oh, and why he thinks the uh, the CRB got it got it wrong. It's not good. Uh, it is <laughs> Laurent Rossi. Uh, it like. If you're looking, for it, there's a lot of confirmation bias here, given how things uh, sort of uh, sort of ended with Prost uh, and Prost sort of accusing him of being a diva. Uh, it was just <laughs> a long interview of Laurent Rossi being like, "We gave you an academy seat. We helped cultivate you. We made this child, and he treats us wow. like this. How dare Amazing. he?" 
Amazing. It's, yeah, it was like it, it was a <laughs> dude like stop talking. This is not this is not making you look better. It amounted to like the CRB was right. We don't actually have a legal st- leg to stand on. And his argument is basically like, well, if you're just going to bring the law argument. into it, uh, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, I man, guess he. What about man's law? What about the law, of, the law of decency? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. It, it was, it was, it was bad. Uh, and and then the, the, he's also like, well, we'll just have to say, uh, maybe we won't even run an academy program in the future since you know, you wow. Just like, wow, like, just throw the, the feeds. toys out of it. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's. It's not a good interview, but it is a, it is a revealing one. Fish rocks from the head, man. I got to watch. I'll read that one. That's good. Uh, uh, Danny, what else is going on in seat talk? Yeah, exactly. It's funny. All the business has been done. We're sort of, we're down to these last couple of seats and in a surprise for all for for you know microsoft stores around the world um nico hulkenberg <laughs> is <laughs> perhaps in contention for the uh, hot seat in 2023 um so there was an interview that autosport conducted with uh, gunter steiner sort of talking about um not just hulkenberg but the general you know who are they looking for type thing because in fairness like mick schumacher's seat obviously everyone loves mick um and but he's his contract is up at the end of this season he has you know he has been consistent but he hasn't had that edge i think it's fair to say to to really make him very competitive in that car um i think the return of magnuson this year and magnuson's general sort of ability to to get more out of the car probably has hurt him even more uh, magnuson did sign a one of those beautiful multi-year deals last year so we know it's more than one we're not quite sure how long it is but uh, as we know from you know what happened to magnuson and grosjean before uh and what's happened to drivers before i, I th- is that like haas do not you know steiner will cut and run like he'll he'll get someone else new in so mixed seat is definitely under threat um and so we have a couple of quotes here. Uh, when they were asking him who is uh, likely to come in, he said, everybody with a super license is on the list. I think he, he's, a, he's a candidate, referring to uh, Hulkenberg, like all the others, because he's got a super license, he has done F1, he has experience. Um, I mean, there is nobody who is racing now that you could get if you wanted to change. We just have to see what is the best decision. So... I, I sort of leaning into the hardest stuff there's a sort of a slim pickings issue here as well when it comes to who has super license points and who has experience and of course the other person who comes up in that talk then is antonio giovanazzi who lost his seat last year and who has have been doing some like practice runs with so there's obviously some connection there um uh, but again, this is from the Autosport article, uh, Steiner continues to downplay the significance of that session. This is Giovinazzi's FP1 run in Austin, uh, confirming that they uh, were agreed as a favor to Ferrari team boss Mattia Bonato, who wanted his reserve to get some mileage. People think too deep in it, said Steiner of Giovinazzi. It was more that Ferrari asked us to run their reserve driver. It was not. Now we need to test him and may take a conclusion on this. Um, the other person in the making is Pietro Fittipaldi. We're once again running into super license issues there, I think, with Pietro. Um, but uh, yeah, we, I, I thought he was uh, the what? reserve driver. I don't know. Actually, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong on that one. I think, he he's, I think he's good from that 
uh, perspective. No formula stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. He filled in for Grosjean when he exploded. Oh, you're right. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. I take it back. You're right. Yeah. He, he clearly is fine. So, um, yeah. So I guess that, yeah, maybe that's the issue is that he has been in one of those spots for a little while. Um, why hasn't he gotten the call up up till now? There's obviously some something there. So um, maybe he's the the lesser option. Maybe him and Mick are, you know, one it's, one and the other. It's hard it to tell. It is striking how much, you know, we talk about tons of people fighting to get F1. It's so competitive. You, like two seats open unexpectedly that's what this amounts to right is like two seats open unexpectedly and one driver maybe is underperforming you want to swap him out and everyone's like holy shit i don't know where do you find an f1 driver where could they be (laughs) i just can't can't find them uh we are we are utterly we're just beating the bushes here and i think part of it is i I started thinking about this where it's like on the one hand you have this this whole like academy pipeline that there's a lot of drivers in it, but those like final finishing steps, really there's only a couple people that are like maybe plausibly ready for the jump. Uh, mm. And I, I do kind of think, you know, maybe the hurt of things like the tip of the iceberg, maybe where it's like, you need to consider being more generous with super license points to other series. Cause this entire thing is about preserving the value of the, the, the Academy teams. Okay. Uh, but clearly, you know, in a weird year, you can't, like team principals do not feel they can comfortably restock their teams uh, with drivers, um, you know, just based off those, those Academy pipelines. And meanwhile, like, you know, hurt is a bit of an odd pick, but the fact is like you look at IndyCar um, and there's a lot of great drivers there. And I don't know if it all translates. It's, it's been a long time since we've seen since we sort of tested the theory, but Everyone has such a such a youth bias in part because the teams are totally dependent on this academy pipeline. Mm. And then you see an IndyCar like dudes in their 30s or 40s are still like ace drivers, uh, you know, in in this series uh, and able to extract a lot of value from the cars. And F1's just not set up to keep those guys around. So they kind of fuck off into the ether and you're left like maybe we dust off uh, Hulkenberg. But like, I don't know, at this point, if you're if you're Haas or something, if like if Joseph Newgarden or something had yeah. the super license points to drive an F1 car, wouldn't you pick up the phone? Somebody who's just like a steady hand, uh, you know, in an open wheel series, I would. It's got to be. It's got. Yeah, and I, I think you're totally right. I, I think there are a lot of people out there with super license points. It, you know, Colton Herta is not. He, you know, you get more points based on where you finish in right. those championships. Right. Colton Herta is not at the top. You know, yeah. he's somewhere in the middle. Um, so that's why he doesn't have enough. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of people out there with super license points and I agree with you, Rob. And so therefore I am led to believe that it is not really about the super license points. Yeah. It's about who, you know, and that's the, the, it's just speaking. Cause you, you, you brought something up to, that I forgot about as well was, you know, the whole idea of like youth and all that. And I was thinking like, Oh, the physical aspect of the sport is obviously really important. Um, did you see Nick DeVries trying to get out of the car after the race? No, <laughs> no, he needed help. He, oh wow! Yeah, his arms. He said he couldn't lift his arms above his like shoulders. He wasn't able to actually get out of the car. So the engineers had to come down at the park for me and pull him out. Which honestly is kind of a safety issue, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Um, if he had had a crash and needed to extract himself, but um, yeah, he called on the radio for someone to come down. Um, and they had to pull him up. Where'd which, you see yeah. that? Um, it was on um, 
I can't remember, was it on a subreddit or was it, it might have been in that video I referred to earlier, the uh, the, the, okay. the, the one where I'll they just kind of summarized his race. I can't remember, yeah. But yeah, it was, yeah, he, they, two, two drivers came out and basically pulled him up by the arms to get him out of the car, which, you know, is, Monza too. Monza is just high speed turns. So they don't get to let off very much there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of team drama, Rob. Yeah. What's his follow-up? All right. Well, so Porsche finally uh, didn't so much let the cat out of the bag as, like, tipped the bag over and the dead cat fell out. Uh, <laughs> Porsche confirmed that the Red Bull thing uh, in, indeed fell apart. And it, it does sort of seem like uh, the Stuttgart outfit is kind of shell-shocked by how rapidly this all fell apart. Uh, now, there's been some uh, reporting. Autosport had a good roundup on this of... Audi and Porsche both did like pretty much 360 analysis of all the plausible teams that could be partner organizations, either to like buy outright or to like join as suppliers. So Porsche have done a lot of homework. Um, the Red Bull thing was their preferred outfit, but there's a possibility that like there was a second choice that Audi did not go with and that the Porsche might see an opportunity uh, to to get in bed with. Um, interestingly enough, Autosport also sort of cited that there's a little bit of rumors on the paddock that like things have gone so poorly at Aston that like if you made a reasonable offer for that program, it might right. get sold. Uh, because it is just it is turning into like it seems like a long shot given like how early this investment stage is but uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if Stroll is sort of in the same boat as uh, you know Vettel and it's like boy this is is a lot of work for something that is not not a lot of fun uh, right now Domenicali uh, you know sort of the um, Supremo at at F1 right now uh, sort of he he indicated that you know there's a lot of other car manufacturers who were part of those 2026 uh engine regulations conversations that just didn't want to be public knowledge that they they wanted to seat at the table they wanted to keep tabs but they weren't ready to unveil their interests so if porsche isn't going to be part of this like there's other people who who might come in uh now i can see that being you know maybe maybe toyota is thinking about getting back into it uh i do kind of wonder if you know, an American outfit might not be thinking about it, given the investment we're seeing in in the sports stateside uh, and the fact that, like, uh, you know, Chevy in particular um, and, and I guess GM more broadly have invested a lot in racing programs. Maybe the most interesting slash exciting possibility would be, you know, there was that Andretti uh, bid for an F1 team that sort of fell apart uh, for a variety of reasons. The The main one being, I think they were looking at acquiring Sauber obviously that felt through for you know evident reasons now uh Andretti wasn't going to be spending Audi money on uh on Sauber but if you had sort of a team up maybe Andretti and Porsche would be willing to eat that huge 11th team entry fee uh the mm-hmm. uh, uh anti-dilution fee you have to pay the other teams to get a new entrant in they have to make their choice fast uh there's a deadline I think coming up in uh, October for getting into the uh, for at least joining the power unit voting board I guess for 2026 so like to, to get a seat at like the rules table you need to join fast and you would want that seat um, but that's probably the most intriguing option still open to Porsche but honestly all the stuff feels like moonshots at this point uh, it's just 
we're in we're in mid September and Porsche was left at the altar by by Red Bull. So I don't I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, at least the Red Bull deal is well and truly done, and Porsche is considering its options. Do you have like a a, a quick one sentence why the deal fell apart? Oh yeah, as we talked about what last we were week. talking about. Like yeah, yeah, uh, you know it, it, the deal that was sketched out was it was going to be a 50-50 ownership split and management split between Porsche and Red Bull. Uh, Red Bull, having come through the season, you know, basically winning in a walk, realizes that maybe they don't need as much help with the powertrains as they thought they might, and they certainly do not need any sort of corporate uh, body advising them on how to run an F1 team. And so the notion that there would be decisions being referred back to Porsche HQ was a non-starter. This is the Christian Horner, Helmut Marco, Adrian Newey show. Uh, your money and your equipment is welcomed. Your input is not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, unfortunate for Porsche, I guess. Um, and yet... Another unfortunate article here, Rob. Yeah, this is uh, so. Um, Jalopnik uh, ran a story uh, about fans reporting harassment at uh, at Monza at the at the mm. Italian GP, um, and like uh, Tifosi harassing Red Bull fans, uh, you know, and, and, and vice versa. Um, but also, I think uh, Elizabeth Blackstock found a lot of. Um, accounts of beyond that just what sounds like a wildly under-resourced and understaffed event uh people with mobility mm-hmm. issues sort of like literally being left on the roadside uh rather than being given any sort of assistance to get to their seats or get to uh like an aid station um apparently like it was it was hot as hell in monza this weekend uh they were actively confiscating uh like beverages from people like oh, uh, like water and allowing people like small amounts of water to take onto the track. So like uh basically just the promoter fostering uh dehydration and heat stroke uh in in the crowd. And you know, I, I saw um Hazel Southwell during the um during the race at Zandvoort also mentioned that there were a lot of reports of uh fan abuse and, and misconduct. Uh, in addition to as we as we saw the the issues with the the flares being tossed onto the track, and I think there's got there's kind of two things that are that are really becoming clear. Uh, one is that like the the toxic fan thing that F one's been dealing with and predominantly gets discussed as a phenomenon of social media. I think COVID may have obscured the degree to which that is now just in the air at F one right. events uh, and and around these fandoms. The other thing is, and this is probably your bigger culprit, uh, the people running these events are not taking the appropriate steps to like maintain a safe and inclusive and accessible environment for for these races. Uh, and if, that, especially that if like this crisis. is a more, uh, can, you know, if this is a problem which has gotten worse, which I don't. It's hard to tell because I've 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 haven't been to enough races. And it's always hard to tell if things are just getting reported more, you know, as which is I'm not saying that's like a bad thing or anything, but like you can you know, maybe there's more eyes on it, maybe there's more maybe this was always the case, but now that we have, you know, sort of a, a, a better degree of journalism when it comes to this in motorsport, that we're seeing more reports of it. Um it does make like 
I I I find it very disappointing because to me racing and again not having not been to that many things but it always reminded me of like when when the NFL uh, came to London at the start it was a very like it was like a festival for all fans of American football you know people would come dressed in the you know Dan Marino Dolphins jerseys as, as much as they would like you know they, everyone was dressed it was like a c- comic book convention people were wearing whatever jerseys they wanted and to a certain extent motorsport is kind of that too where it's like sure like some people support teams not everyone does but like uh you know you're just happy to be there surrounded by other people who like this sport that's probably relatively obscure compared to other sports but I don't know if it's and I and I I pinch myself a little bit when I say this because I hate saying this just type of thing, but also as like somebody who like produces do- documentary works, I can appreciate the power that they have in crafting stories. Like there is definitely an element of this in Drive to Survive, and I wonder if we've created a foundation of of antagonism between teams, um, between younger people maybe co- coming into it that is more similar to something like soccer, especially in a city, in a country like Italy, which is no shortage of, of very antagonistic relationships in football teams. Um, I do wonder if this is sort of like a byproduct of all of that, which isn't awesome. Um, I hope not, but like you said, Rob, the problem's here, and I wonder if it's like a lot of organizations, or especially a place like Monza that's had F1 for donkey's years, like they're just treating it the same way as they always treated it. And maybe the, maybe the tone has changed and they're just kind of like caught flat footed. It feels a lot like, you know, I don't know what the analogy is here, but like, you know, um, going to say the frog in the pot. (laughs) Well, no, it's more like something that got really pop, like a, you know, like a, an app that got really pop or a web, a forum that got really popular. Right. And then like, or I guess, you know, giant bomb experienced this to some degree. Like we had, it was very small for a while, you know, our, our video game website. And then once it, you know, gets to a certain level and there's a critical mass of people, then you start thinking like, okay, we really need to buckle down with moderators and and, and things like that. Right. That's what this feels like. It feels like, you know, there was sort of a, you know, an, an agreement with, um, amongst motorsport fans to have a certain level of conduct. And then, you know, you, you reach some critical mass and then you're, you're dealing with all parts of humanity. And if you're not ready to, to, to handle that as a race, you know, promoter, then you, you get results like this. So I think formula one has, it's enjoyed an increase in, uh, eyeballs, but it hasn't grown up in level response to that yet i i would say um blackstock also did point out that you know there's a, like in her view certainly it seems like this has just always been par for the course it's just that now we hear these stories more as they get uh amplified via social media uh, and okay. so the right yeah been actually pretty shitty for ages and, and i do also want in addition to that whether or not uh there's an element of you know sometimes you have fandoms that are that buy into this idea of like we're all here to misbehave in this way and this is cool that we get to do mm-hmm. this I, I think of like uh rivalry rivalry matches among football clubs uh where where some some football clubs are there to play a game and between some fandoms it's it's like a, a sectarian brawl that is that yeah. is uh you know that's the whole point of the of the event uh yeah. and once you sort of lift the cover on that and you get people who are not 
who have not signed up for that sort of that element of uh, partaking in the sport uh, that suddenly it, it takes on a really different cast. And I wonder if that's part of it too, uh, where maybe, maybe Tofosi have always been unbearable assholes at Monza to anyone who isn't, uh, you know, there to support Ferrari. It's just that now there's a lot of people who feel like I am just here to have a good time and see a cool sporting event. Mm. And I'm not here uh, to get in heckling matches with with randos, um, and that 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 may be part of it as well. But it, it does seem like this is something that F one's got to get on top of, uh, because if you're yeah. you know you, like they're so excited about the growth of the sport, uh, they're excited about like reaching these new audiences. Man, if this is your new fan experience for people who have not bought into this, uh, the value of those tickets is going to decline pretty rapidly. Agreed. It's funny though, because uh, yeah, and and I think that matters more to the promoters running the races because the money in F one is not, you know, it's like it's like the Premier League, like the money isn't in the in the stands, the money is on is on the t- television, and it's the, you know, millions of people watching there. But like you said, like I feel like they do need to get on top of it because without the tracks and there's a lot of tracks not barely hanging on and we know that we've lost a bunch over the past couple of years and Mons is a good example of that it's come and gone a bunch uh, so i feel like or it's been on the it's been on the edge for a long time so but yeah, if no one it, comes to your race because it's a terrible experience then you're not going to get f1's not going to come back to you right and then we're going to lose circuits that are fun to watch and then no one's going to watch the sport because it's boring so yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a ecosystem, you know, for it. Yeah. Um, all right. We're, uh, we're getting late in the championships okay. here. Let's, um, I guess, pause to say how Verstappen could win at the next race in Singapore. Mm. Uh, racefans.net has run the numbers and apparently Verstappen can win the championship if he wins the race. Uh, and then there's a, a different stipulations based on whether he gets the fastest lap. If he gets the fastest lap, Leclerc must finish no higher than eighth, and Perez must finish no higher than fourth. Mm. If he Verstappen does not set the fastest lap, then Leclerc must finish no higher than ninth, uh, and Perez must finish no higher than fourth or fifth if he sets the fastest lap. So if none of those conditions are met, the championship will remain undecided. Um, but those are not out of the, <laughs> out of the equation. Um, but, uh, we have a few more champions crowned here, Danny. And before we say this, I guess we should point out that if you are still watching formula two and formula three, uh, spoiler warning. Yeah. Don't, don't listen for the next two minutes. Let's say, yeah, yeah I just, I'll, we, we, I'll try to include time codes in the, in the show notes. <clears throat> yeah. We, we rarely highlight F2 and F3. Um, uh, we don't, we tend not to have, I don't know, time for it. There's so much going on in F1. Yeah. Not cause it's fun, not fun racing. It's great. No. And it's been a great season and, and we're sort of down to the wire here. F2. Uh, so both, both series has uh, crowned their winners in Monza. Um, F3, I'm pretty sure it was the last race of the season. Right, F2, they have one more, they do Yas Marina, so it's always a weird gap between uh, here and there. Um, it's basically like seven races in F1, I think, between now and then. Um, they tend to do a lot of the European ones. But uh, yes, Felipe Drogovic uh, crowned the champion in sort of uh, surreal circumstances. He crashed out of the race. 
Um, and then there was sort of a watch to see if Teo Porcher or Logan Sargent would get enough points to to make a good end to the final race. Neither did. Drogovic crowned the champion while he was in the pits. Um, not the only one. <laughs> uh, Drogovic also, I should mention, has since signed with Aston Martin's development uh, uh, team. So we'll see what that means for him. Next year, I suspect you'll probably still be swimming around in F2. Uh, Victor Martin on the other end uh, won F3. Um, That race was a bit weird because it ended under red flag, but also several of the drivers who were in contention, including Zane Maloney, um, had received time penalties that only came up during the red flag. And then people were like trying to figure out the maths on on the whole thing. And then they uh, said they weren't going to restart the race. Uh, so then uh, it was even more confusing and then eventually the news came over that it had been that all the points had been you know the the time penalty has been added and they all added to where they were and Victor Martins who was the probably you know the 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 one suspected to win because sort of coming into this race um ended up uh, uh taking it so uh congratulations to him um yeah there were interesting seasons in f2 and f3 they were um have been pretty competitive a lot of great driving and uh yeah fair play to to all of them some names that we may hear in f1 in the future but you never can tell some of them always end up in formula e or in our fantasy league which you can join using the link in the show notes uh we got the top three here from italy in fact the top four because uh, we have a uh, two-way tie for third place on the Italian podium here. Uh, from the USA, Brandon's team, Totonator Cyberdyne Model 101. <laughs> uh, from the UK, Jim's team, Wild Stallions with Ys instead of Eyes. I like it. Uh, the I'm sorry, your team name is cut off here, but I'll just uh, sh- read what I can see from Canada. Casey's team, Martin Brundle's Jolly Grundle. <laughs> okay. Sure. And uh, on top in Italy, from America, Landon's team, team one. But overall, the podium standings are looking pretty familiar. Mm. In third place, the Canadian team, Michael's team, Leo Speed. In second place, from America, Andy's team. Now this is pod racing. And from America, James's team, Maximum F Vert. And then uh, they've appended Danny wears dot dot dot. So I want mm. I want you to fill in the blank, Danny. What do you wear? Is it me or Danny Danny Ricardo? I don't know. Because if it's Danny Ricardo, what do they call them? Budgie smugglers. Is that what it is? <laughs> is that what they're called? Yes. What do I wear? I wear the same white shirt on the recordings mm-hmm. every week because I've just crawled out of bed. Um, yeah. But I did get a studio for um, my company. Uh, we're get, getting the keys on Thursday. So next week I may actually be dressed and in a studio. We'll have to wait and see. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. That would be very fun. Uh, all right. You can send us an email at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the way. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. 
Kicking things off with the Camping World Trucks. Mm. We're at the Bristol Motor Speedway in Bristol, Tennessee for the You Know 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. You know. I don't know if it's You Know or Uno. It's U-N-O-H <laughs> and it's an acronym. So don't think there are any colored cards involved. It's a shame. Uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is also at the Bristol Motor Speedway for the Food City 300. Food City. I'll see you in the spaghetti quarter. <laughs> uh, the FIA World Rally Cross Championship is in the Pista Automobile de Montalegre. In, in, in Wichita. <laughs> <laughs> right. In Portugal for the World Rally Cross of Portugal. Portugal. Uh, the Moto GP series is in Aragon, Ooh. in Spain, for the Gran Premio de Aragon. In Middle Earth. In Middle Earth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, the old jokes are the best jokes, Drew. <laughs> they sure are. Um, we've also got the Goodwood Revival this oh, weekend. Yeah. Cool. So different from the Festival of Speed, the Revival is all about old cars so be on the lookout for uh for that they uh they're pretty good on twitter uh posting all uh manner of fun clips of old cars um we've got the super gt this weekend at sportsland sugo sportsland food city yes that's where i want to live sportsland is in the town of murata shibata district miyagi prefecture is Miyagi-san for food? Uh, I don't know. I think it mm. might involve the mm. Karate Kid. Oh. Um, and we got NASCAR. Oh, my. Also at the Bristol Motor Speedway. You know. For the Bass Pro Shops Night oh. Race. Oh, my God. That is th- that's the most NASCAR race I've heard yet. Nighttime fishing bass, just like Papa. It's the best time. When they're awake, <laughs> get them while they're sleeping, while they're dreaming about not getting fished. Dreaming about NASCAR. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that is the racing going on this weekend. Not Formula One because no. Formula One. There's a big old gap here because Russia decided to Russia. invade a country like a bunch that's of scumbags. Right. Yep. Although, Our next race. That's, that's not working out too great. No, it's not. Uh, our next race is on October second. So next week, we will have an email-only episode. Yes. So get your emails in. That's shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Get them in. I've already collected a bunch of them, but we could we could use a lot more. So send them in. How are you feeling about the sport? How are you feeling about the season? How are you feeling about, you know... There are no dumb questions, by the way, if there's something out there not. that you just don't know about. No, I had a question about breaks that came in this week that, that uh, we're going to answer. We're going we're gonna to talk about the whole whatever you want to talk about. So, yeah, we haven't done an, an email podcast, I think, feels since, like, year. Yeah, since COVID, probably, I the think, tri- when we had the, that massive the, gap. The triple headers that, like, have thrown arcades into chaos. Yeah, totally. Yes. We, oh, yeah, because we don't have emails. You're right. We, don't do, we, we only do emails. We don't do them post-race. shows. Yeah, yeah, so we don't so we don't get to do them. But we haven't had an email-only one in a while either. So, yeah, send them in. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Do it. Do it yes, now. Yes, and then the, the following week we'll have our pre-Singapore show, and then Singapore will be on October 2nd. 
Man. Um, yeah. Final thoughts, Danny. Ah, oh, this season, this season, mm. it just mm. wasn't. We had the new regulations. We had, and I'm sure I'll talk about it next week. But I'm a. Li- I think these three races have just kind of been a bit of bummers, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> you don't want three in a row that didn't light your world on fire. And yeah, they all felt a little sleepy. So I think it's you know seeing. I, I don't know. I'm trying to like think about what the things i'm excited are for the rest of the season i think it'll be fun for to max to win a championship you know on merit which is sounds cruel to <laughs> say fired. Yeah, I, fired. you know what i mean like I, I think we hey look we talked about last year both of them deserved to win the championship last year and it just fell max's way at the end but it could have a load of things could have you know gone differently i think it's nice to scratch yeah, off the asterisks which is nice yeah. he's dominated this year yeah. maybe on merit's a bit harsh but he's he's dominated this year and and, and he's dominated his teammate and also you know ferrari so that's cool but yeah i get the fight in the mid pack i guess i'm i'm hoping gets a little bit RG bargy but even that seems like it's sort of settling a little bit so yeah i don't know i'm looking forward to the rest of the races someplace we haven't been in a long time like singapore so that'd be fun yeah we'll have three weeks before you know we'll have three weeks without a race so I, i'm sure we'll be i will yeah. at least be uh interested Chomping in watching a new yeah. one yeah rob final thoughts no, i'm basically in agreement with danny uh i think the this triple head has really highlighted the degree to which you'd stick a fork in this season uh, the the best car, best driver combination question has been settled pretty decisively. And I think the fact that some of these last races, uh, we end up centering on what ifs around safety cars and tie, like tire strategy in relation to that. When you have a, a fandom that is desperately debating these things, it's an indication that like the race itself did not necessarily uh spark anyone uh and and, yeah. and and fire anyone's excitement so i think you know some of what some of what this sudden like uh fixation on what could you know what the, should this team have done with this with the safety car situation or how could the fi have handled this better uh i think there is a bit of tacit admission here that the races are feeling a bit deterministic uh right now and that and hey look you know long time f1 fan here this is part of F1, and it can it can go years like this. In fact, historically, <laughs> it generally yeah. has. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, fingers crossed for the future. I think the, the new regs helped a lot of stuff, but it is the nature of things like this where a team will, sometimes a team just solves the problem better. And, uh, you know, the rest of the year, they reap the rewards of that. Well, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Mm